Episode is brought to you by Wild Foods. Mercedes, I know you're not a big coffee drinker, so what do you start your day with? Yes, I'm currently obsessed with Wild Foods Co.'s mushroom powders, and specifically their Cocotropic, which is a proprietary blend of mushrooms, turmeric, and cacao powder. I usually add it to my tea or my smoothie in the morning, but it can actually be used on its own or in coffee too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I add it with extra cacao and it also has maca powder in it. Yum. And because Wild Foods is a food company that puts quality, sustainability, and health first in all of their products, you can trust that their ingredients are real and delicious. And because we know how health conscious our magic mob is, Wild Foods is offering the Magic Hour listeners 12% off your entire order. Yep, 12% off. To sign up, go to wildfoods.co slash discount slash magic hour. That's magic with a J. Again, go to wildfoods.co slash discount slash magic hour to get your discount. This is part two. If you missed part one of this episode, you can find it in our podcast library now. If you're all caught up, welcome back. Do you see that men, um, men, even if they come in with a little bit of resistance to the work, they quickly get on board because they feel the energetic charge that they're finally wanting to really be able to step into and own. When he sees a woman authentically get turned on when Mm -hmm. he becomes present, his life changes Mm -hmm. until that time. There's no one who's going to talk him into this. It's like, Hey man, you need to work on your, like I was not the kind of guy who would ever go to an intimacy workshop mm-hmm. just so this is known. When, my, when London <laughs> came to me a decade ago and said, hey, let's do this. I was like, that's ridiculous. Why would I do this? Um, what? All right, I guess I'll go <laughs> if you pay for my tuition. I literally said this because I, would, I couldn't possibly imagine. Right. But it wasn't mm-hmm. until I got there that I started to feel when I became the man I wanted to become, <laughs> she started to authentically sexually open in a way that no other woman in my life ever opened Yeah, because mm-hmm. I was starting to drop into this place. Mm-hmm. I was starting to feel my balls in a way I'd never felt them. My mm-hmm. breath was deepening. My presence was razor sharp. I was getting feedback how to become more sharp. I was mm-hmm. sharpening myself. My consciousness as a blade of consciousness. Mm-hmm. When I felt more purposeful and I knew what I needed to do before I died, she was getting turned on by that. Mm. what so if i am more clear on what i need to do or who i need to become before i die she's going to be more turned on yeah that's a revelation for that's a, a win-win it's, true. it's a win <laughs> it's a turn that's, on yeah. but until he experiences it it's all right. nonsense and it's all woo-woo yeah. yeah it's all woo-woo until he actually experiences it right. and then he yeah. can't go back right and we do see many people in the older generations, like boomers and, and older, who seem to struggle with intimacy, um, especially men. Like um, you, even hear a lot of men say that they would never get massaged, you know, or or at least massaged by another man. My dad and my stepdad. Yeah, yeah. Is this largely tied up in shame stories around expressing sexuality? Do you think? That's not my area of expertise, and mm-hmm. I would love to answer your question, but I wouldn't be able to answer it confidently enough um, in regards to what that demographic is psychologically struggling with or what their mm-hmm. disposition is. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I have maybe more of a sense of my own generation, the millennial generation, and I mm-hmm. tend to work with men who are in 45 years old and up. But in terms okay. of men my father's age um, and the baby boomers, I, I wouldn't have uh, the professional insight to answer that with any integrity. I feel like you kind of did by saying that you tend to work with men that are not in that generation because the men that are in that generation are probably very likely not going to want to attend something that says intimacy in the title. You know, what but I, mean? I, I love that you were confident enough to, to answer it that way. Yeah. I feel like that kind of speaks to, to what, what's happening there. And it is unfortunate, you know, it is unfortunate that um, there's a whole generation that, very many of them might not ever get to experience some of beautiful parts of life and deepening and things that I'm glad that this, this generation is opening up. Yeah. To. It seems like each generation is getting more and more open, yeah. which is really encouraging. It's true. As, as the Due to light workers like you and your wife. Yeah. As the generations get younger, we're seeing more of this fluidity between genders mm-hmm. and same sex relationships are more, um, common and mm. people aren't so tight around what it means to um, be interested in men, woman, to be bi. There's a gender flexibility of the younger generations that's more prevalent than it's ever been. Yeah. And that's, that's, a, that's a gift because it's, it's, it's liberating a generation from dogma. Mm-hmm. And, and they're willing to be open-minded and explore, hey, what is this? What is this possible? But in kind of a counter to that that's also super important is if we just don't have any structures and we say screw all of it mm-hmm. then we completely lose an ability to know how we engage one another and it all just becomes neutral and confused mm-hmm. that's why london and i got rid of masculine feminine and said alpha and omega are mm. because i was thinking 10 20 years into the future mm-hmm. right now people aren't going to understand alpha and omega but generations younger than me are going to get it better than even I can understand mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to put those milestones forward so that men and women understand, man or woman, you can embody all these alpha qualities and turn on and, and fuck open your partner. You, mm. And I, I don't know if we can curse on this show. Yeah, no, you're good. <laughs> but, and then on the Omega pole, man or woman, you can learn to bring those qualities as a gift to the relationship and turn your partner on. This is not gender bound by any means. And that's the gift of our generations is liberating these dogmas around it. But we can't be so liberated that it's just chaos. We, under, we need to understand the rules so that when we engage, we know why certain relationships are being created, why they're destroying, why they're getting better. Right. And consciously be participating creatively, artistically, be making love out of our lives, art out of our relationships. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the idea too of just using the word femininity um feminine energy because of the current cultural climate and where you know the feminist movement is evolving to it gets a little convoluted with whatever anyone's idea might be of the word feminine um and i like the the fact that you guys use alpha omega because it gives it more of a uh, like a leader follower vibe, which is understandable. And I think maybe just, I want to put it out there that if anyone's listening and feels like, well, I don't want to be a follower, you know, I don't want to be the Omega alpha is the one everybody's trying to go for. That is also part of this cultural construct. That is really a story that is sick. You know, it isn't, it isn't whole. Right. Um, yeah. We have a chapter in a book called 
omega, not beta. Mm. <laughs> so by no means is omega inferior to alpha. Now in wolf packs and things like that, that's part of the dialect there. They've used alpha omega symbols to represent, uh, represent superiority and inferiority. That is absolutely not what we're doing here. Mm -hmm. What alpha and omega represents is that, that Greek alphabet from alpha to omega. We're talking about the full spectrum of what's possible in embodiment from consciousness to pure white light. So more correctly stated, it's from alpha to omega mm. and learning how do I embody all of the notes on that keyboard such that I could be, become an artist of my life, my relationships. Mm -hmm. Because when you learn to embody certain alpha skills, you're going to be more trustable in the world. People are going to want to pay you more money for what you do. That's mm -hmm. just a fact of cultivating trustworthy skills and embodiments that make you more trustable. Mm -hmm. Cultivating clarity of consciousness has a gift for men and women right? Yeah. As we work on Omega and we learn to open our hearts, become more compassionate, become more expressive in what we're feeling, relate to our children in a more uh, empathetic way, to care about other human beings on the planet, to be creative in our expression. It's all of the Omega notes that men and women can learn to play. And when we understand that those are the embodiments and what these notes mean, we can learn each scale and artistically choose who we want to be in our lives and do we want to be of service to others and what would others need from mm -hmm. us to feel our gifts come through us and then there's those people who come through life and they play one note their yeah. whole life <laughs> and they just keep pounding that note and they're that note and every time you see them they're just that note and you're like yeah you're just that note <laughs> we're not saying there's anything wrong with that way some of my best friends in the world are those one note and it's people. all an orchestra yeah we yeah, all need everybody yeah. you can do your one note but i'm but what i want people in this world to know is you're not limited to one note yeah. You can become the full spectrum embodiment of all possibility of consciousness to light as a man or woman. Yeah. It's everyone's birthright. There's a whole mm -hmm. symphony awaiting you. Um, that idea of the feminine energy rising in our culture today and the awakened woman becoming something more common that we're seeing uh, brings up this major turn that we're all making together against things like slut shaming. And I'm wondering if I think, you know, our trajectory there is pretty obvious. We are, think are really going to get clear in the next few years here on um, shaming people's sexuality uh, and that that is not okay. Um, I wonder how that's going to translate also onto men and things like boner shame and things like um, the ways that we shame men's sexuality. Do you have any thoughts on that? I would need a specific example in reference to what you're referring to. So with specifically with boner shame, I mean, the idea around men grow up their whole life from a very young age being told don't you know, basically don't stimulate yourself. Don't get hard. Don't be in public and show your penis because that the world doesn't want to see that. And, you know, now we have dick pics, the dip, dick pic epidemic where women are very vocally saying like, we don't want to see this. We don't want to see this. So in many ways, men are being told, we don't want to see your penis, put it away. It's ugly. It's not to be seen. It's not to be shared. But then yet yeah, we want it to be rock hard in the bedroom on call every time. 
So there's, you know, it seems the very opposite things happening at the same time here. Sure. I understand what you're saying now. Um, you know, when I was younger, um, I was really intimate and I loved being intimate with a lot of people. And at one point I had multiple girlfriends. I had about a dozen girlfriends at one point in my life. And I thought it was great. And I thought it was, I love being sexual and expressive and all these things and having these different relationships. Um, and a lot of them knew also what I was doing at the same time and not all of them did. Mm. Right. And at the time of my life, I thought it was no big deal. But then as I started to mature and started to do the work that I do now, I really began reflecting and I said, man, how much suffering I must have caused in these women hmm. by offering them my consciousness, but then being totally unwilling to fully claim them. And I knew I wasn't going to fully claim them, but here I was offering them this facade of a possibility of love. And, hmm. and I feel in that and I'm like, that's horrific. Why have I done that? And it took me years to unwind that kind of tendency in me to go out and kind of make eye contact with mm -hmm. a woman and polarize her because I knew how. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of like ego that still was in there early on when I was learning this stuff because you want to flex it, right? right. Like you got a superpower no one else knows about. <laughs> but I learned very quickly and also through the reflection of London being with me through this and not shutting down, but showing me through her authentic expression, like that's fucked. You can't do that to me and you can't do that to them because it's destructive. And I was willing to look at that and I was like, that is destructive. That's horrible to go out and be intimate or polarizing to people when you have no intention of diving any deeper with them. Mm -hmm. And that brings us to our current climate in the world is my teachers, you know, had certain traditional ideas, most traditional, and some of them I adopted. And one of them that I did adopt was their relationship around how we should engage intimately and how we should be mindful about it. And in today's culture, a man goes on his computer and he sees thousands of images of very sexy women in very mm -hmm. sexy outfits all the time. And he has a family and a woman at home and he can't help, even if he's not looking for him them being bombarded by this imagery mm -hmm. and it absolutely is turning him on and turning his attention away from his partner and when those images go out and impact his life what impact is that having on his wife who might have just had a baby and just mm -hmm. trying to like get her body back and it couldn't even imagine being looking like that like mm -hmm. what impact are we creating by kind of liberating mm -hmm. ourselves sexually now, I'm not saying we should stop this trend and, you know, all wear parkas or anything like that or burkas or anything. That's, that's not it. But I would challenge people to begin evaluating, is this really a gift that I'm bringing into the world when I liberate my sexuality, my sexuality for others? Is this really serving the world mm -hmm. and the greater good mm -hmm. of the world or is it hurting others? And I think we're going to need a big reality check at some point in our generation's time around what that means. Mm. Um, that's not going to be for everybody. I understand pop culture is pop culture, but this has been my discovery is that we can very easily wreck relationships and destroy others by flaunting our sexuality recklessly. Um, and I really believe that deep polarity should be intentionally as best as possible 
reserved for the person you really do want to go there with. Mm. Yeah, that really strikes home for me because I just posted today um, that, you know, I my whole point on my social media is to bring light to matters of the heart and to, to um, encourage people to, um, you know, listen to the show and all that we're talking about and to, to um, go deep within and sit with their feelings and all these things that I want to talk about um, that I try to bring up on my um, social media. But when I do those videos and, you know, even just like in a sports bra, like what I have on now, it's still a good amount of skin, but even in just this, or if it's in a flannel or something like that, there's not a lot of views. So then no one really hears the message, but if I do it in a, you know, lingerie or a bikini or something because there's some humor to the message that I'm trying to also get people engaged in then there's quadruple the amount and so there's this like feeling of okay well my following is 94% men and it the platform started in mixed martial arts and so maybe I can be a bridge and join the two where men who um, like to see a woman in that type of setting and that type of outfit are now hearing an enlightening message where they may have not heard it otherwise. And so there's this like pressure where I feel like, okay, do I tone down my sexuality so that my uh, message is taken more seriously or do I up my sexuality so that people hear the message? Mm -hmm. And so I'm at a constant war between the two. Absolutely. The fact that you're conscious of it and intentionally navigating that terrain is the most we could ask of any of ourselves. Oh, thank so I think you you're doing great that. work. And <laughs> thank we you should, for saying that, Jesse. We should not we should not shame radiance. The human body is beautiful. I'm a trained artist, so art is visual arts, the body being beautiful, and people look at radiance. We are drawn to that which is radiant. Um whether you're a star on a rock stage or a star, you know, by the way that you adorn yourself or the way, shape of your body, that is omega energy. And it shouldn't, it's, it's omega energy and that's it. And it's the intention behind the energy that makes it dark or light, essentially, mm. that makes it vindictive, um, manipulative, destructive, mm. or makes it uh, something of good. And they can appear exactly the same on the outside, but it's really the consciousness that's going into it. And we're trying mm-hmm. our best. You know, we're all trying our best and we can't satisfy everyone at the same time. But So it would be whether I'm wanting the attention or whether I'm wanting the message to have the attention would be the maybe the dark and the light? The way that we do it in our work is um, this is a principle that was defined by one of my teachers, David Data, and it's called first, mm-hmm, second, third that. stage. You might be familiar with mm-hmm. this formula. And it's an excellent model to help us understand. First stage is the me stage. This is all about me. I don't care what you guys need or why you need it. I'm going to express this. I'm going to say this. I'm going to do this because I want to do it. Mm-hmm. Incredibly destructive way to live one's life. A lot of people do live that way. Most people live that way. I'm hungry. I'm going to steal from you. I need this. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to do this and so on. The second stage is, okay, let's make a deal. Um, I want something. You want something. I'm going to negotiate with you in a respectable way. And we're going to come to terms. And then we're going to, I'm going to do my thing. You do your thing. But we saw eye to eye in what we did, right? It was a mutual exchange. This is where a lot of business is conducted. Right, in the second stage. 
Now, in the third stage of development, as Data describes it, it's this spiritual stage of growth. It's maturity in oneself where we say, okay, I know I can do what I want. Then I know I can kind of make deals and negotiate what I want. But then we start to ask ourselves, is there more to life than that? Is, is something trying to live through me? And it comes through a real check in ourselves. What's the meaning of my life? Oh, I know. It's actually to give my love. It's actually to give this gift before I die, essentially. What do you, how do you need to give your love before you die? What's the gift you need to leave mm. behind when you die? That type of question asking will lead us more closely to the answer we need. And when we sit in that inquiry, you know, um, plant medicines have a great way of kind of mm. illuminating this thing very easily, very quickly. Yeah. But when we sit with that inquiry, we start to say, well, what is that thing? Is it what I was just wasting my time on? Is that it? No, what it is, is it's actually this. And then we start making our decisions based on the greater good. That when I'm on my deathbed, There'll be no cords attached. I will die complete. I will die fulfilled. I will die loved. I will die as love mm. because I gave love mm-hmm. without question. No matter what happened, what my conditions were, I overcame them or I at least tried my best. So when we live from that compass, that's how we get the best out of ourselves. And mm. we're going to fail every step of the way too. We're going to hurt people. We're going to hurt our lover. We're going to feel frustrated but it's our ability to constantly come back to that inquiry and, and love from that place or give from that place. And when we do, our life shapes itself around us. Our, our ability to manifest from there is just infinite. How gorgeous. Thank you for that. Um, it, the way I heard it is really what you were speaking about early on in the show and that I was praising you for is redirecting yourself to become mindful again become mindful of what you're doing in every moment of your life really as often as you can bring yourself back to that and um i think a piece of of what we do in this culture and every culture is we practice something i kind of i guess i want to call it like purposeful ignorance where we know that things aren't necessarily resonating with how we're living our life at the moment or what we're doing, you know, like you were speaking to, you were dating a a broad spectrum of women and, you know, treating them a certain way. And a lot of that, you know, wasn't in truth, you know, wasn't you being authentic to your own truth in love. Um, And something, and that's what I'm calling purposeful ignorance is where we are deciding to not look at something because we know if we look at it, we're going to have to actually change it. We know if we become mindful of this thing, we're going to have to do something to change it. And we are allergic to change. You know, we, our egos are like, we're safe where we are now. Let's not mess with anything. We're not going to change anything. We don't have to disturb this. We just move forward. And so we stay ignorant on purpose. Um, but when we do the work, like what you're talking about here, which is looking at this stuff and being honest about it with ourselves. And then the second factor on that, which I think is what you're speaking to with creating this art and making sure it's all in love. Um, One of our favorite people to have on the show, Eric Godsey says, it's so important to 
be or speak truth in love. Because like you're saying, if we just come at it with our blunt honesty and we forget the love portion of it, and we forget to make sure that we're mindful of how this is going to be received by everybody, it's not in love. We're just being selfish, really. We just want to get this out and that figure out what to do with it when I put it out there, you know? So yeah, speak our truth in love, be our truth in love. So important. Um, but I'm not going to let you get away, Justin, with dropping a plant medicine bomb. (laughs) (laughs) I Mercedes has not done plant medicine before I've done, um, about 18 ceremonies. So we, um, plant medicine is a broad spectrum, but intentional ceremony I have not done, but I wanted to know from your side of things, is that something you've, if you're comfortable talking about it, is that something you experimented with or do you use maybe regularly and uh, explore that with us if you will? Sure. I'd be happy to touch upon that. Um, I'd say by the age of 16, I was heavily exploring psychedelics regularly, um, at a minimum once a month for about 18 oh, years wow. stint. And um, at the end of that stint, I had an experience and it said, you are absolutely done with this path. There's no mm-hmm. longer for you. And in that moment, um, I gave everything that I had owned away to dear friends and I haven't gone back since. So that's been um, two or three years now since since that officially ended. About oh, three wow. years now. Um, my relationship to allies and, and, and medicines was always, how far can I push this human experience of consciousness? Mm-hmm. How much can I dissolve myself? What's, mm-hmm. what's really possible here? I, I just wanted to know. And I would research every substance known to man. I would... St- I was very scientific about the entire thing. And then uh-huh. when I would have the experiences, it would be very formal settings. Um, um, what's my take on it is if you don't absolutely, if you're not absolutely certain you want to do it, then I'd say, don't do it. Um, I think one should be totally clear that it's something they want to do and engage in and be fully responsible in the decision around it. Does it allow us to see ourselves in the world in ways we couldn't possibly imagine otherwise? Certainly. We get insight. But that insight that we glean in those moments shouldn't be mistaken for the real thing. Mm. The Mm -hmm. love we feel in that blip of being under the influence of that supplement or the insight that we gain isn't enough on its own. Mm. Integration. Integration and there's a wonderful alchemical author that I read and he calls it smuggling back the information over Mm -hmm. the border because Mm -hmm. you have this awakening there. And then the moment the substance wears off that same idea that you may have even wrote down or thought about again, just doesn't have the weight to it or the insight Mm -hmm. behind it. So bringing that insight into our lives and not mistaking, as my friend says, the supplement for the workout Mm. So when you're able to really mm. integrate so good. the insight and apply it, then that's a, a very useful and intelligent way to use those. But I think yeah. if you're just constantly engaging for the sake of the high, it mm-hmm. can be mm-hmm. an incredibly destructive way of life. I think I was, I did 18 ceremonies in about three years. Cause I was kind of like what you were saying. I was trying to dissolve myself and I was so obsessed with growth and um, just being my highest self. And, um, 
then this last November, the medicine said that I was, I was done here as well for a good Mm. while. And she said, um, you have plenty to integrate. And in this next year, love is going to be your ceremony. And, um, it was a really big message. Um, and even in these last, it's only been a few months. Um, I feel like in working through conflict and in, um, feeling out my vulnerabilities and love, the way I felt in ceremony where I would physically feel the rewiring in my brain and the pattern shifting, I felt it in those moments without the medicine. So it was really interesting. That sounds wonderful. What a great experience and beautiful messaging to get that clear uh, marker to know that you're complete. It's wonderful. Thanks for going into that with us. Some that was a little side bit. Didn't know I was going to explore with you, (laughs) but because you touched on um, your story of you spending a lot of your younger years, you know, experimenting, we call it, I guess. Uh, that, yeah. <laughs> um, what can you give us a little bit of your story of how you got to where you are today doing the work you're doing? And you can take, you can bring us through whatever comes up for you. Yeah. Uh, yeah Cause I'm curious too about um, how you had multiple lovers and then what it was where London, there was just this shift. Yeah. Um, yeah. So both of those are interesting. Yeah, I'd be more than happy to. Um, you know, when I was about uh, four or five years old, I went to my grandparents' house and my grandfather took me in the back room and sat me down and he said, close your eyes, I want to teach you something. And he began teaching me visualization, memorization, and different focus concentration techniques from my mind. I had no idea what I was learning at the time. I just thought wow. I was playing a game. So when I'd come back over, he would kind of guide me more mm-hmm. and then test me on certain things. Um, and then he died within a year later. Oh, wow. Um, mm-hmm. He died of uh, cancer. And it happened really quick. And from that point on, I never understood what he was teaching me or why. And I had forgotten about it for a number of years. And then when I was 10 years old, um, I just decided to move into the basement of my home. And I'm from a big family. There are five mm-hmm. kids. I was the middle child of five. So I was already really weird. Um, <laughs> so I... I moved into the basement of my parents' house and I began meditating again. Mm. Um, and I'd sit and I'd close my eyes and I'd be there for hours. Mm. And it was through that practice at a very young age that I just began to explore consciousness. And I would start doing these techniques that I essentially just invented on the spot and years would go by. And it wasn't until I was about 16 and the internet was really starting to become credible at that point that I think I started asking myself, man, there's got to be other people in the world who do this. Because I didn't tell my parents about it. I didn't tell my best friends about it. I never talked about it with anybody. Um, And when I ran some searches, I found Buddhism and their techniques. And I found, wow, these people are doing pretty much exactly the same thing that I've been doing here. And in that moment, it just kind of dawned on me. It's like, if any human being just closes their eyes and sits in silence and pays attention to consciousness long enough they're going to come to pretty similar conclusions about consciousness. Just like a human being has hands, hands do this, you know, mm-hmm. they look like this. Um, I believe when we go inside, it's the very same thing. So once I saw that, I just continued my practice, um, a solo practice. And eventually I got into all other forms of esotericism. At one point I had an altar in my room. My friends would come over. And they would never even ask me about it. Really? <laughs> You'd be in the room. They wouldn't even, I don't know. Some beautiful. There's one in my room. 
Yeah. People don't ask. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, all right, good. So this is common. People see it and they're just like, eh, all right, whatever. But I always loved that. I loved that my best friends, the people are closest with, would see it and not even say a thing about it. It, was, mm. it really meant the world to me. It did. So I went my whole life thinking I was going to keep this side of me a secret. Um, I never thought ever that I would share this with anyone. And then I met London. And on maybe one of our second or third dates together, I remember bringing her into my bedroom and laying her down. And I just straddled her body. We both had clothes on, but I just got on top of her. And I don't even know where this came from. I just began running my hands over her body, but I wasn't physically touching her. And she had her eyes closed. And every gesture I made with my hand, her body would respond in that exact area perfectly Mm. in sync with the movements of my hands. And I was just observing this and I was like, what, what is this? This is bizarre. I've never experienced this with anyone and I'm watching her do this. And it was like this connection was made. And it was from that point forward where I started to share with her these practices that I had been doing my entire life. And then that's when she invited me to this workshop. It was a workshop with David Data. And um, in that moment, when I went to that workshop, I realized all of those techniques I'd been practicing on my own for my whole life that I thought I'd never be able to share with anyone through this two-bodied practice I could be there experiencing it and my woman could be there right with me experiencing the same thing. It was no longer subjective. I knew these experiences were real, but I didn't know I could share them with other people. And then in that moment, the connection was made and I was blown away. My whole life changed. And from that moment, I literally have dedicated my entire life to this path. And it hasn't changed since. This was Mm. a decade ago. Wow. That sounds so similar to my own story with my husband. Uh, The second day of knowing him and not being romantically interested in him, he showed me how to meditate for the first time. Mm. And then at the end of a short meditation and a short conversation, I knew that was the person I was going to be with. Mm. Boom, like that. It was strange. And I'm not the person who does that. You know, I was not the person who made decisions like that. That's um, awesome. Yeah. That's a very interesting story. Very cool. I love it. Cool. All right. Well, um, let's get back to the work you're doing today, which is doing so much to change our lives here. Um, and as we do the work of creating more intimacy in our separate lives with our partners uh, with our separate lives and with our partners or in partnership how do we heal from that place what is what's happening there that's allowing us to heal i'm not sure i understand the question when we're doing this work of creating more intimacy in our lives what what is it in there if it's able to be described i don't know that creates a healing for us or creates places where we feel like we can maybe finally trust someone enough or become open enough to see the things we need to heal what what's happening in there for us in my experience very few human beings have ever felt someone else putting impeccable perfect presence on them 
just being perfectly present with them. Mm. How many of us have really experienced that? Um, there may have been mothers when, at times when you know, we were an infant or something where our mother was giving us that, or maybe not though. And we don't know what happens when finally we have someone's undivided attention and it's completely on us and simply in service to us, in devotion to us what comes up inside of us mm. outside of a workshop, you know, you sit down with someone who's just that present and you're like, Ooh, stop staring at me. This is yeah. weird. This is awkward. <laughs> Why are you looking at me like that? And we immediately put our defenses up and we reject it, even mm. though on a deeper level, it's what we've wanted more than right. anything mm. is that level of presence, but we reject it because we don't know how to actually receive that depth. So when we show up and we just start there, it starts to bring up things inside of us that we didn't even know were dormant or afraid or contracted mm. or hurt. And that's the, it's just like meditation. We don't know the degree of our reactivity, our neurosis and our suffering until we sit and try and become perfectly still. And then all of a sudden the rat brain just starts churning. Our body starts fidgeting. We become panicky. We, we feel Mm -hmm. how difficult it is just being in our own skin and how desperately we need distraction to keep going. So this practice is very much the same, except we get to experience it with another partner. And what makes it, in my opinion, a little bit better mm. is that we get to enjoy intimacy while we're going down the path. Mm. We get to experience erotic connection as all of this is coming up. And in moments, it'll be vulnerable, terrifying, and in the next moment, it's ecstatic, heart-opening, mm -hmm. and we mm -hmm. burst open as a result. So it's a roller coaster, and every single human being is entirely different. Some people show up, and they realize they were born for this, and this is what was, they were missing their whole mm -hmm. life. Um, and some people show up, and they didn't know they'd get stuck, and they find out they just have a big wall up. And then it's just one thing that when we figure out where that wall is, we break it down emotions just start pouring mm -hmm. out yeah. tears and they're healed mm -hmm. in a way they they won't even understand for months later it's yeah it's it's incredible to witness and be a part of yeah i bet what a it must be just an honor to be able to be mm -hmm. a facilitator for that type of movement for someone i'm sure y'all y'all say it too but we always <laughs> say on the show um intimacy into me see so it's like you're once they experience that intimacy like the feeling of being seen, I think, yeah. is what can be so healing. Absolutely. So many women, especially many women in my life right now, it seems, um, seem to be struggling with getting pregnant. And I'm wondering how much of a role being versed in intimacy um, plays in that. And if you might have any insight on the correlation there. On getting pregnant or not wanting yeah. to, and what part about it? On on a woman trying to get pregnant, a lot of women seem to not be able to get pregnant currently. I'm just wondering if intimacy is a major, you know, being able to be intimate with another person seems to or be... Or like maybe letting their womb feel safe. Mm, absolutely. Is it an energetic thing, possibly? 
I personally believe, yes, they are correlated. I don't have the scientific background to be able to say exactly what the correlation is between these women not being able to get pregnant and so on. Mm -hmm. So I can't speak directly to that. But what I could speak to is my own personal adventure with London. I would love that. I'm 35 years old and London is 14 years older than me. Um, Mm. And we had our child just about a year and a half ago, which means she got pregnant uh, just about two, just over two years ago. So Mm -hmm. she was 46, 47 at that time. And there was a period for about five or six years before she got pregnant this last time that she did get pregnant. And we had a lot of miscarriages. And London talks about that experience in the book and how devastating that was. Um, it was hard. And, and some of them went, you know, we had, we had a child 20 weeks. We lost it 20 weeks. Oh, wow. And um, that was a tough process to go through. And we did go to doctors locally, some of the best doctors in L.A. And we spoke to them and they said, look, fertility is not your problem. It's that your eggs are just old. It's just not going to happen. Um, so we kind of let that entire idea go. And we continued to engage intimately. Um, And it was really when we were over it, and I hear a lot of people say this, it's the moment we completely let the idea go that she had gotten pregnant. And we were actually really scared because we didn't want to go through another loss. So we were just kind of gritting our teeth. And each stage we had the tests done because we weren't sure how the baby was going to turn out because when older the eggs, the more there is for complications. Mm -hmm, And by the end of the road, we turned out we had a perfectly healthy baby. Um, and we were both stunned. We're still stunned. We can't believe mm. it. And I mean, for her to go through that process at her age and to deliver that perfectly healthy baby, um, do I associate that happening through our practice? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to make any scientific uh, arguments here, but I will say, yes, I personally believe they are correlated. Mm-hmm. I believe that the practice, the intimate practice we created together allowed for something to take place. Um, And it just, it blows us away. We're still very much in a dreamlike state around the whole thing. We Mm. we can't believe it. We really can't believe it. So for the other women out there, I wish I could provide insight and help around it, but I'm just not an expert on, on that piece. Yeah. Well, um, because you are both parents, what are ways we can use this yoga that you guys teach in our parenting? Huh. Yeah, how do we create awakened daughters? Uh, <laughs> I'm a uh, single mom of two toddlers, so I'm I'm in, I'm constantly feeling the pressure to fulfill both roles as well. But yeah, well, first to to, to be said, when we have an infant or a child. Um, when we are with that infant, we need to be alpha and omega, particularly if we're with them alone, because we need to be the structure. We need to be the clarity of consciousness. We be, need to be the command, the authority. We need to be the protector, the provider, all of those alpha qualities. Mm. And we also be, need to be the nurturer, feeding them food, feeding them milk, um, changing their diapers, giving them baths, the caretaker, the nurture part. So when you're with a child and it's just you, you're going to need to fulfill both of those duties fully to really be of greatest service to the child. Um, They're going to take everything of you. Mm -hmm. So, but there also is a difference between mommy or daddy mode and work mode. Those are very Mm -hmm. different 
uh, dimensions. So the way London and I keep our relationship good in the midst of this is we're very clear whose roles are what and when. So there's one every Thursday, for example, I'm daddy mode. I do not do any work, no work. I'm with the baby entirely. And mm. London goes and handles all business, all of her clients, everything she needs to. And she doesn't interact with the baby. When we separate, she physically leaves the space to do this. Now, what we've observed um, is if she comes down into the house and mentions anything about work whatsoever, it'll immediately irritate my body because I'm essentially an omega with this child, being the caretaker of this child. That's a more omega pole versus the work mode, right? Mm -hmm. So if, she, if I'm in omega and she brings that alpha work mode, it just irritates my system, right? And if I go and I bring the baby up into the workspace and say, hey, the baby, da, 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 she's immediately going to get irritated. So there's intelligence to keeping containment around work mode and parent mode. Mm -hmm. And if we don't contain those intelligently, they will irritate us both. So if I'm with the baby and all I'm thinking about is how stressed out I am about this thing I need to do for work, but I can't give it my attention. I'm only irritated. I'm not present. My daughter suffers that. I suffer that. Mm. It serves me much better to drop into that mode, blast some music, dance around like a nut, go on walks, take care of the baby, and then find time to find the other. Mm. Now, some people are going to be in positions where that, that's going to be a luxury to disconnect and do that. And I'm not mm. sure you know, what your life looks like around that. I'd be curious to know, like, do you find separation between work mode and mommy mode or does it feel like it all bleeds together for you? It all bleeds together. Yeah. And what's mm -hmm. that like for you? Um, it's my biggest disappointment, I think, because I'm, I'm working from home so that I can be with them, right. but then I'm not present when I'm with them because I'm working. Right. And that's um, only making them need me more. Right. You know, and um, it's not fulfilling for any of us. So I have made it to where once a week, no phone, no work, but once a week really isn't enough. Right. Um, so I am trying to find the balance there. One thing that we learn in our work, um, and I want you guys to both imagine, if you had a partner who was totally purpose-driven, totally about crushing the world, you know, fulfilling their dreams, being awesome, and they were so absorbed in their work, but that when they were around you, they were just distracted and still yeah. focusing and talking about their work. So imagine being in that person's presence for five hours a day, and that was the quality of presence you got. Or imagine a scenario where that person you loved who's pursuing all of that work handles all that work, but instead when they come to you, they can only give you one hour of their time. But when they give you that one hour, they are impeccably present. Mm. Their phone is down. They're just with you. It's less time, but it's a different quality of presence. Which mm. one would you guys choose? Quality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when we, when we think about giving the gift of presence to Omega, and our infants, our children are always more Omega than we are. Mm. So no matter how Omega you are, your infant is always going to be more Omega. Mm -hmm. It's more helpless. It has all of these qualities that just demand consciousness. Consider today, each day, how much time can I give them of impeccable presence? Mm -hmm. 10 minutes, 
Could I do 10 minutes of impeccable presence with them? 20 minutes, 30 mm-hmm. minutes. Can I give them the gift? And remember, I talked about frequency. Mm-hmm. So can you show up to that as a discipline, as a spiritual practice, as a yoga? Mm-hmm. Be like, okay, this is your 10 minutes, guys. I am here for you. And it's now we can't control what Omega does when we want to give Omega presents. <laughs> Omega may be in a mood to receive it. Omega may not be in a mood to receive it. Especially but when I, they're two and three. Especially in the two and three, but even as adults, still right. the same. Yeah. But when you sit, you are committed. You say, this is the time it starts. This is the time it ends. You make that promise to yourself. You make that promise to them, but then you continue to show up in that way. Mm-hmm. It creates a grounding in their lives and in mm. your life where you know, at this time of day, I am going to give them impeccable presence or that gift that they need, that transmission. And then there's always that tether. And you never know which day that's really going to be the greatest gift that they could mm-hmm. ever receive or that would serve you in your relationship to them. So making these mountains into little bites mm-hmm. and say, can I be impeccably present with the person I love for 10 minutes today, every day? And that's, that's, how, so that's good. how we navigate it. Mm, that's a beautiful magic. You didn't know this, but I'm uh, at the end of Mercedes just said it at the end of every show, we do mm-hmm. our own magic tricks. And I was going to read from your book, page 127, the 10 minute presence practice is my magic trick today. So I was going to read y'all's practice. So that's, that's in perfect alignment. So everyone yeah. listening, you'll get, you'll get a, an outline for that in a little bit. Amazing. Okay. We're coming down closer to the end here. Um, Dan on Instagram, one of our magic mobbers, asks, can you discuss the current issues around pornography use, specifically for men, but women can be involved in that conversation too? And he says, how do we pull a man's consciousness into the present during intimacy? This is a great question and a question that comes up a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, Typically as men, we learn how to use our sexual organs. We learn how to engage sexually by looking at a magazine or closing our eyes and fantasizing and then ejaculating as quickly as possible so we don't get caught. Mm-hmm. So how many times from the age of what, like 12 or 13 to an adult has a man gone through that process where he's looking at an image or closing his eyes and fantasizing and ejaculating as as quickly as possible? Mm-hmm. How many times does does that? versus how many times he's with an intimate partner and completely present just with that intimate partner and sexual experience. The difference is staggering for almost all men. Mm -hmm. So men have hardwired their bodies to only get aroused when they close their eyes and fantasize and to ejaculate as quickly as possible. Mm That's hardwired. So when a man watches porn, his body is going to naturally want to ejaculate as quickly as possible. He's not going to learn how to prolong lovemaking or control orgasms. So I've written an entire article. It's a tutorial. It's a blog post online. Um, It's called uh, Bypassing Ejaculation and Prolonging Lovemaking. multiple orgasms for men. You can Google that and the article will come up. It's a full tutorial that teaches men step-by-step how to go from that into being essentially a multi-orgasmic man. Beautiful. Um, We'll link it in the show notes, guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a very useful article for men, but it's so common. So the first thing that we need to do 
is we really do need to get rid of porn and stop the habit of closing the eyes and fantasizing to become aroused mm. and start being more present with the person we're with. And most importantly, you learn to breathe fully down your body. So you inhale, let the inside of the body expand, the lower belly expand, and then you exhale fully up the body. Because what causes ejaculation as well quickly is the inside of the body is contracted mm. tightly and it causes an outward explosion of energy. So when you relax the inside of the body and you're breathing deeply, you can move the sexual energy through the body more and more. Um, for men who want to learn this practice seriously, you do have to abstain from pornography to learn the skill. Um, if you're a man and you don't want to abstain from pornography, that's fine. You know, it's not for you, but I will say that the habit pattern tends to be so intense, so mm. extreme, and until you've eliminated that from the equation, porn is going to trigger that very spastic response inside of you. Um, that's going to be hard to overcome without doing some practices. Yeah. Can you repeat that link one more time? Yeah, it's, um, it's on a website called wearesacred.org. And the, okay, or, we the article is multiple orgasms for men. I'll find By, it. Bypassing ejaculation yeah. and prolonging lovemaking. Perfect. Yeah, I'll definitely find it and put a link there so it'll be easy to get. Um, and so the PC asks about being able to pull a man's consciousness into the present during intimacy. Is there is there any tools for that? Absolutely. That's what we teach women at our workshops. Mm-hmm. What? How does she need to move? How does she need to express herself? What does she need to become? that she is intoxicating to his attention mm-hmm. and every movement she makes is drawing his attention out. She might be moving. It's, it's a conscious. Uh, we can do incredible things with our human bodies and by using radiance and allure to draw a man's consciousness out. And when she knows exactly how to move and surrender herself to that, it will draw his attention right out of his body and into her. It's incredible. Um, how do we train women to do that? Very yeah. complicated, very, very simple, um, but very complicated to explain. But in the workshop, yeah. it's very easy to create. And once two partners know how to give one another that feedback to create that, those two partners can have those skills for the rest of their life. And you can continue to learn and deepen just knowing what are the fundamentals that would allow create that know how to ask for it in a way that opens your partner rather than closes them Mm. do you think that kind of finding out what your man likes in porn is a good tool to use to uh, bring into your sexual practice with them at all sure it certainly could be um Something about a man's sexual appetite, and we talk about this a lot, is when a man watches porn, it's not like he's watching one video. Right. Usually, it's like he has like 30 videos and it's 20 <laughs> seconds of specific scenes at different times right. because his appetite for the other is variety. It's hmm. London described it the other day as I was describing this to a couple. They were blown away because he couldn't real, he didn't realize that this was kind of every couple mm-hmm. scenario and every man's desire. He wants a variety of flavors and textures. He wants to feel 30 different forms of women Mm -hmm. to feel completely sexually fulfilled. What's corrupting about it is he really thinks he needs all of those women to experience that. And that one Mm -hmm. woman represents only one flavor. 
That's the biggest lie she and he have ever been told. A woman can become every and any flavor for the man that she loves and trusts if both of them are intentionally navigating that terrain lovingly and mindfully and not being shut down by his voracious appetite for infinitude in her Mm -hmm. sexuality. He wants every flavor. So to answer your question, would it help to see some of those things? Yes and no, because you might find out like certain fetishes or certain qualities he particularly goes back to often and often. But once a man tastes a flavor fully, he's kind of done with that flavor. Mm -hmm. Mm. imagine wearing the same outfit every day for the rest of your life or eating the same food for breakfast, mm-hmm. lunch, and dinner. That's what he thinks committing to one woman is going to be like for him. And in his brain, that committal is like a prison. Mm-hmm. That's what most men feel around sexuality. He becomes liberated when he recognizes that woman can become all of his fantasies. If he not just creepily demanding them, but literally polarizing her into a kind of consciousness that she would love to become that man's everything. Mm-hmm. We got to sign up for this workshop. I'm conveniently uh, <laughs> in LA for your March event. So, yeah. <laughs> Me too. We, um, we did sell out for March, just so you know. The event's oh, been selling out quickly. Okay. But we have one in May, May 9 and 10. Um, okay. And then a couple other in the year. If you guys want to check it out. Okay. Awesome. Um, so there's a few short questions we like to ask everyone who comes on the show. So first off, if you could hug your younger self right now, what would you say? I would say keep going. How old were you? Nine or 10. Yeah. It's a popular age to whisper to. If you could have the whole world read one book, which would it be? My favorite book in the world is the Upanishads. Mm. What is it? It's it's the Indian uh, spiritual classic, the Upanishads. It was oh, written it. between 800 and 600 BC in ancient India. Um, and it was some of the most inspired poetic writings by the mm. um, enlightened um, Jhanis, the Jhana yogis of the forests. And they left some incredible nuggets of wisdom inside of those pages. And it's one of my favorite books. Is it really I'm dense? So Is it tough to digest? It's very poetic. It's not dense mm. at all, but it's very poetic. So you would need to read between some of the poetry, mm-hmm. but it is, um, if you know some of the main ideas, it's very digestible and people, scholars dedicate their whole lives to the study and understanding of it. So cool. it's infinite in its giving. How do you spell that? Upanishads. Mm. Well, it's U-P-A-N I. S-H-A-D-S. Okay. I'm glad you asked that because I would not have come up with that spelling for it at all. Google would have been like, what? (laughs) I'm excited to order it. Yeah. If you could whisper one phrase to everyone on the planet, Justin, what would it be? You are already love and you are already free. Yeah. You love that you've been searching for. Like Rumi, that you roam from room to room searching for that diamond necklace that's already around your neck. Something like that. Yeah. I'm curious, you're definitely in your calling. There's like been, there's like this glow that comes out from um, your body, like your aura is very translucent and, you know, glowing around you. Um, I was curious if you know your animal ally or spirit animal. Mm. I've encountered a number of different spirit animals and allies. Wolf Mm -hmm. and crow have been very dear to me. London and I have a great affinity with snake, Um, but I'm not certain if you have a particular system that you're referencing. Mm. 
when you when you say that. Yeah, it's interesting. I would have guessed that you were a wolf. I don't know why, um, but I kept seeing you as a as a um, like a viper snake, um, like a very like majestic, um, full of wisdom type snake. And I know she does snake ceremonies, so I thought, yes. huh, I wonder if I wonder if they already connected Knew that. the two. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wolf, crow, and snake are very dear, dear yeah. to my heart. Hmm. Cool. That's so interesting. You really do hold those energies. Um, well, before we let you go, where can people find you online? Easiest place to find me is my website at justinpatrickpierce.com. Awesome. That's Thank exciting. you Thank so, you so much. much. And this has been incredible. And I know you, you have a one and a half year old, so you are tired. Yeah. <laughs> so, so thank you for sticking it out with us and bringing all your wisdom to the show. You are truly um, inspirational when it comes to us finding our own way towards being more intimate and more burst yeah. intimacy. So thank you for being such a light. Yeah, I feel like my my heart burst open a lot during this episode. So I know it's it's happening for everyone that's listening. Um yeah, thank you so much. Um thank you very much for having me, Mercedes and Jade. That was really good. I feel like um I feel like this episode what felt for me it felt like a ceremony in itself because of how much um like when I not necessarily with ayahuasca, but with Huachuma, it's like, you just keep getting these nuggets of wisdom that Mm, like change your understanding of certain things. And all of a sudden you're like, my soul feels older. (laughs) And that's how, that's how this episode felt for me. It felt like like an older, but wiser anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. For some reason I say older because it felt like in Huachuma, you feel like your soul grew 70 years Mm. and you like gained 70 years worth of wisdom. And, um, yeah, this, this, um, conversation had a similar effect for me. Um, and I think in the past couple of weeks, my heart has closed a little bit, um, with some of my, um, betrayal vulnerabilities being mm-hmm. triggered. And I feel like he really, um, opened it up a lot. So it was very yeah. healing. I'm glad to hear that. Very yeah. magical. It was. It's beautiful. What is your magic trick? Speaking <laughs> of? So my magic trick is a libido check-in. Hmm. Uh, and, just to state that your interest in sex is an important measure of health. And according to Dr. Jolene Brighton, around 40% of women experience a disinterest uh, in sex or a low libido. And men similarly can have major dips um, in their libido in times of their lives when they're not healthy and balanced. So I just wanted to, I guess, list off a few things that low libido can be because of. So that could be because of low testosterone, low progesterone, imbalanced estrogen, gut infections, adrenal issues, bad relationships, um, hormonal birth control, body image issues, diabetes, too much stress, insulin dysregulation, uh, autoimmune disease, medication side effects, trauma, and so, so, so much more. But those are the really popular or common um, things that seem to be underlying root causes sometimes for uh, libido, be having low libido. So for all of our magic mobbers listening right now, both the men and the women, beyond what we spoke about today with Justin, there could also be a more you know medically, physical, or psychological reason your libido is low. And it might be a combination of some of these things. You just never know. So as always... We encourage you to see a professional and get down to the root cause because experiencing that beautiful sexual energy that 
Justin was talking about today. And you know that that comes with a healthy libido. It's something we want for every one of you. So, and also just a side note, you can be asexual and not have a health issue. However, it's always a great idea to have up-to-date health care and support. So yeah, guys, just check in with your libido today and maybe even do some tracking of how your libido goes throughout the month and throughout the quarter of the year and such and see where you're at and then check in with your healthcare professional. That's it. How about you, Jade? What's your magic today? So as I mentioned, I'm going to lead, um, not lead because you, you have to take this and go do it with someone, but I'm going to tell you how to offer a loved one, 10 minutes of presence, like, like Justin mentioned, um, which he's very present. Like I forgot my own question. And he's like, well, well you asked, <laughs> what you asked was <laughs> um so ideal um, but <laughs> so ideal uh so this isn't a short magic trick but i'm going to try to breeze through it and then if you choose to use it you can you know rewind it um but so offer a loved one 10 minutes of presence so for this you're going to pick one person it can be a friend it can be your child like you mentioned which is um, what i'm going to do um, it can be a parent if you have that type of relationship. Um, that sounds a little triggering for a lot of people, I'm sure. Or it can be a lover, um, which sounds very rewarding also. And you're going to offer them 10 minutes of your presence um, today or this week as soon as you can. So um, it's an, it's important that if you can do this in person that you do it in person because it's not just your mind that we mm-hmm. want to develop in presence, but the soft responsive tissues of your body as well as like being in front of them. Mm. And it's also important that you pick someone who can meet you in the moment. Um, not someone who, you know, that they're going to be in the middle of working or that that's the time that they watch their TV program, Mm -hmm. you know, otherwise they're going to be unable to give you your attention. So those are the two prereqs. Um, If possible, choose an environment that is appropriate for authentic connection and keep in mind that the person you choose may not be capable of being fully present with you. And this is often the case, actually, but your practice is not to force or demand them to be present with you, but rather to silently invite them into presence through the quality of your practice. Mm. So you're going to meet up with the person you've chosen and without telling them what you're up to, that could be even more, that could be super awkward. This is already kind of a difficult practice. Um, offer them 10 minutes of unwavering presence through the practice described here. So there's five steps. So the first one, drop into the right now moment. So before you attempt to offer your presence to another, first, you must come into presence with yourself. So begin dropping into the right now moment by placing your attention on your breath and your body. As London always says, relax your tongue. Yeah. But try relaxing your shoulders, softening your lower belly, pressing your hands into your thighs, you know, feeling your feet um, and ask yourself, where are my body and breath? And London and Justin say that the answer should always be, ah, there they are. Cause you, you realize where they're at. So that's number one, you becoming, you know, in the right now moment. Number two is make eye contact. So this can be really hard for people, but um, it is, they say it's best to look into their left eye, which is the eye on the right side from your perspective, because it tends to be the more emotionally receptive side, um, which is interesting because the left side represents the feminine, which is like pulling in. So that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but whether your chosen partner can meet you in eye contact or not, continue to offer them your loving gaze as a selfless gesture, as a way of showing them that you are there for them. 
done skillfully, the sincere level of eye contact alone is enough to draw out tears and help move stuck emotions. If you feel uncomfortable keeping eye contact, this is your edge of practice. Don't judge it. Just notice it and keep coming back to the practice and be sure to keep breathing as you do. Always remember if your gaze is locked in loving presence with your partner and you suddenly look away for whatever reason, they'll feel it. And that subtle break is pre in presence is sometimes all it takes to shift a moment of potential ecstatic union into a moment of shallow disconnection. It's like hitting the reset button and having to start from scratch. So compassionately encourage yourself to stay with them for the full 10 minutes while you lovingly invite them to meet you in depth. Hmm. Number three, offer the kind of loving presence they need. So as you gaze into their eyes or their eye, their left eye, Place all of your attention on them. What's their body doing? How are they breathing? How are they feeling emotionally? Are they present? Are they distracted? And however they are showing up, don't judge them. Don't judge yourself and don't judge the moment. Don't try to fix anything. Mm -hmm. Only loving presence to be offered and an invitation for them to join you if they wish. So <clears throat> ask, what does this person need right now to feel that they are truly loved? Remember, what they need might be very different from what you would need mm -hmm. or what you would want to give. So like put on a beginner's mind and assume you do not know what they need and instead place all your attention on them, feel into their heart and explore the myriad of ways your presence could inspire them to open in this moment. Maybe this person needs you to listen. Maybe they need you to give them a good belly laugh or to hear you have a good belly laugh. Maybe they need your touch. Um, maybe just this undivided attention for 10 minutes is what they need. Uh, number four, experiment, explore, and adjust. So if you thought talking to them is what would open them most, but mid-sentence, you notice it's actually causing them to close up, it's your job to make that adjustment. Just simply pause, keep on breathing, and continue offering presence. Um, number five, which is the last step, receive the moment. So let the moment move through your body as you bask in the experience of connecting with someone you love. If it sends a chill up your spine, then that's like you silently saying yes to the chill. If it cracks open your heart and you begin to shed a tear, say yes to that emotion. Um, as you offer your loving presence to this person that you've chosen, you are allowing your authentic self to be seen and your heart to be a part of the equation, your truth to be the oracle of the moment. And in the midst of all this, you receive this moment by breathing it in. You must remember throughout this entire exercise to breathe. Inhale the moment breath by breath and let it fill you inch by inch. So the skill that you are cultivating is your ability to not only meet the moment, to, but, be, but also to become sensitive to what the moment requires to deepen in connection. This is the gift of your presence. This connection can be platonic or erotic, but either way, it is your ability to bring your yoga, your presence, your openness and vulnerability as a gift, which serves the moment into a deeper expression of love. And they say, think of presence as a muscle that can be strengthened the more you use it, because this may be hard for some people, um, but to realize where your edge is. And, you know, if it feels nerve, if you feel nervous or awkward, this is how you, you know, you know that like you're bumping into this edge, but to spend more time practicing um, and let that be the muscle that's strengthened. And they end this um, little exercise which by the way, this book, The Awakened Woman's Guide to Everlasting Love, each chapter has an exercise like this in the end that is amazing. But they end this exercise saying, and remember your ability to give and receive presence is directly correlated to your ability to be 
met deeply and in intimacy. Hmm. I kind of feel like it too. It's like um, you, people can only meet you as deep as they've met themselves. Yes. Like if you're not able to give this to someone, then you're not really allowing anyone to meet you here either. Mm -hmm. You know? So I know that was a long one. It's page 127 of the Awakened Woman's Guide to Everlasting Love. If you want to have it in front of you or you can rewind it, but um, I really, really like it. And I, um, I intend to use it this week on multiple people. Have you ever used it in practice with another person? Not for a full 10 minutes. Um, I'd say two to three minutes. Okay. Um, but I do want to, I do want to use it this week. Cool. I'm doing my magic trick. You'll have to report back to us on the success of it. Um, I like it. (laughs) I like it a lot. Cool. All right. Well, thank you for that. Yeah. All right, Magic Mavers. Thank you so much for tuning in and taking this journey with us. If this episode held some magic for you, please share it with your friends and family. This would mean so much to us. Uh, We really feel like this was such a strong message from Justin and we really want people to hear it. Uh, Also, don't forget to join us on our Instagram page at The Magic Hour and let us know what your favorite episodes have been so far. We appreciate all your feedback and really want to know what's lighting you up. Yes, and we release a new episode every Monday so you can catch us again next week or go listen to some of our past episodes in our podcast library. We'll meet you there. Until then, be a light. Big thank you to at Raytone Royal for our intro jam and to John Aaron Garza from Real and Motion Productions for producing the show. Stay magical, friends. Quick disclaimer. We are not medical professionals, so following any of our protocols or advice should be done at your own risk, people. And please remember to always, always do your own research. Tap into that extraordinary growth mindset we all have access to within ourselves and seek out your own answers. Come on, guys, you know, you know the deal. And by the way, if you are a medical professional or an expert in any topic we cover and you feel we are not giving accurate information about it, please find somewhere to contact us. Contact us via social or email us at our website and let us know. A major goal of ours in doing this podcast is to bring value to people's lives by sharing helpful insights and info. So we welcome being corrected at any time and we'll be happy to share any of our fuck ups with our listeners so as to get us all back on track to discovering our happiest, healthiest selves.